Max Gorlin, Melbourne Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cotchin from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Penderbury from the Collingwood Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell from the Hawthorne Footy Club, and you're listening to the Coaches Panel. Hey friends, MJ from the Coaches Panel. Nice to be chatting fantasy footy with you again. If you haven't already done so, make sure you go and check back. Just a couple of days ago, we dropped a fresh article with whole stack of members of the panel helping you through your 2020 fantasy footy side. Whatever format you play, we're here to help you do that. However, during ISO Life, yes, there's less than a week until footy's back, we promised you we would give you access to who we believe are the best 50 targets to go out and get in a brand new keeper league. And so we're back at number 22. I've got Kane along for the ride. We compiled this list. So all the hate you can direct purely to just me and Kane. If you agree or disagree with the list, and that's okay. Ultimately, it's not about ranks. It's about prospects and starting the conversation because we needed to talk fantasy footy during ISO life. A real difficult one we had to play, though, through the list. In at 22 is where we managed to land him. 26-year-old forward superstar of the GWS Giants. Man, Toby Green was hard to place, wasn't he? Well, MJ, that's the thing with Toby Green is that he's the ultimate match winner if he's on. Again, last year, coaches who owned him, the scenario almost played out perfectly if it wasn't for that final round. Yeah, He always has the forward status because he is primarily a forward and Again, he's still very effective in that role most of the time, hovering around 90. But the things just fell his way with the injuries in the Giants' midfield. And he just exploded on the run home. Again, yeah. at that point, he was probably the player you wanted to own the most. He was pumping out you know, 140s like it was going out of style. It was just incredible. And as I said, if he'd played that final round in the, in the draft grand final, yeah. most people would have probably been thinking, I'm going to win the league. And, yeah, that's just the mercurial nature of Toby Green. Well, the the thing about Toby Green is you either love him or you hate him, rightfully or or not. But what he does do is he has one of the best scoring ceilings going arounds for forwards. His positional security through that line. Look at that midfield: Canelio, Kelly, Hopper, Taranto. They're still struggling to get called well, um, and Hately through that midfield unit as much as they'd like. Oh, and then they go and pick up a bull like a Tom Green. So, so he's not moving back permanently into the midfield. And while we'd love him to be there because that's where he's going to probably average one twenty. We really, as a coach in a keeper league, we want him around that 90 marker through the midfield, knowing that he can get games and center bounce moments. As moments, look at me speaking with proper grammar. And he can absolutely, like you said, those final five, six, seven, eight weeks of the year, he's averaging around that 120 marker. And he probably got you pretty deep into finals, even though he didn't deliver on the big stage of them all for keeper leagues. He was probably a key reason you got deep into finals or a, a really strong position in your finals league. And let's be honest, to have a forward that does that, man, it's incredible. And he's not just done it in one year. He's done it over multiple years with years averaging 90 plus as a forward, let alone what he did when we knew he's a midfielder, where he is a, a clear high hundred midfielder when he's through there. Yeah, well, that's the thing, MJ, isn't it? That again, 126 is what he averaged in the final five weeks of his season. Yeah. <laughs> that's, you'd be absolutely ecstatic with that from a mid, let alone a forward. It's just yeah. an absolute huge advantage over your competition. And, and that's the beauty of it is, really, he's only going to get stretches in that midfield role. And if the timing's right, it's just incredible. But the surety of him being a forward year on year yeah. is what makes it so great is because... 
it's very unlikely that he'll be a mid for the whole season. And again, yeah. if he is, you're going to have a full team. year. Yeah. You're going to have him as a full year as a forward with that mid role. Again, obviously, it will flip the following year. But then if he goes back to a forward the following year, you, you only have to wait a few weeks before you'll get the forward status back. So, Correct. again, it's very low risk. The main risk is Toby <laughs> punching someone, kicking someone, Tearing or getting something. injured, which, which has happened. But, again, for the most part, he, he's incredible when he's out there. And he's yeah. not unavailable as much as people, I think, perceive him to be. Yeah, and I think uh, uh, there, there's one line that's really difficult to replace your premium, and that's through the, the midfield. Forward line, really simple, really easy to replace you guys through there. So you're going to have a 70 most weeks comfortably sitting on the bench. Just go and grab them through there. It's absolutely no problem at all. Go and grab them through there. So I've got no problem with that um, at all if that's what's needed. You absolutely go and do that. So of all the lines to go and have to pick somebody up to cover a premium injury or a premium brain fart or whatever it is you want to call that happens to Toby, you can go and do that. So we've got him real high. There's not many forwards. In fact, I think there's only one forward on our list. Little sneaky sneak for you that's uh, a higher on the list for us. Let's move into number 21. A real interesting one we had to place came off a personal best year, 967 not a bad second season into the league for one James Warple. That guy had a pretty phenomenal year in the game. Yeah, he was incredible. He was absolutely incredible, MJ. The opportunity he got in that Hawthorne midfield, I don't think many people would have expected him to get all of that opportunity. But again, Mitchell's injury fell his way. And he just got better as the year went on. Again, it's incredible that, you know, and even a 90 as a forward last year was very solid of what Walker was delivering. But when he got going in the run home, 103 yeah. after, after the bye, final 11 games. And there was some big scores in there. 134 is a great effort, especially for someone in their second season. And I guess the hard thing, MJ, is projecting forward with Mitchell back in the side. Yeah. I think that becomes the real unknown for us. And the reason we've got him in that very, very high 20 marker. So it's the, you know, he shouldn't go inside the top 20 picks in a brand new keeper league unless you're a really bullish Hawks fan. But what we can see and has clearly demonstrated a propensity and an ability to be a high scoring premium force long-term through our midfield, just the 22 years old, an absolute brute and a beast through the midfield. We saw it as a junior. We've seen it now coming through his second year of the AFL. So he is absolutely a phenomenal footballer to go out and own. The question mark is they've now added back into that team a 30 to 45 possession player per game who has the ability to absolutely dominate games on the inside, get plenty of ball on the outside. And that's what makes Tom Mitchell such a fantastic player. But for us as keeper league coaches, yep, Tom Mitchell, he's, he's no spring chicken um, in, in terms of his age. He's 27 years old. So he's got, you know, number of years left in him to go. But that is the concern or the unknown. We have seen one game since Tom Mitchell's come back from injury with them all together, albeit off shortened quarters and shortened games. So, so we don't quite know everything just yet about how it's all going to play out and impact through there. But look, for me, it's, it's not a huge concern. It's a little, okay, capture it, be aware of it. We might get him limited to a high 90s or something like that. 
But oh, I think long-term, the Warpedo is going to be an absolute ripping keeper league target. You just might get a season or two where he doesn't quite break that 100 barrier as early as you hoped, based off what he did last year. Yeah, well, that's it, MJ, isn't it? You can't all just be going up year on year, and sometimes it does just fall your way. And I think Warple, you know, had a bigger jump than people thought. Yeah. But again, there's some guys in that Hawthorne midfield who are towards the end of it. I think Liam Shields has been playing for a long, long time. He's 29. We know Ricky Henderson on the outside, yeah. you know, isn't where Warple is best. But again, it's no problem having a really good midfield of Mitchell, O'Meara, Warple and Shields. Like that's not too many mouths to feed. The one yeah. in the short term that might see Warple drop, and it's hard to know because we haven't seen enough of it, is how much midfield opportunity a wing guard gets. Yeah, good call. But at the same time, Warple, when he's out there, he's a guy that can score really quickly. If you owned him last year, he's a guy that scores 20 points in two and a half minutes yeah. and then goes a little bit unsighted. So I'll be curious to know, you know, the time on ground they choose to give him. Tom yeah. Mitchell, when he was out there at his best, he was approaching, you know, the low 90s yeah, time on exactly. ground, which is, which, is, which is incredible. So we'll see how that goes off a broken leg. But again, maybe Warple might just stagnate for a year or two. Yeah. But again, MJ, if stagnating at 95, at 21 years old. Yeah, right. yeah it's, it's pretty incredible. So, yeah. again, it's, it's hard to see Warple really falling off a cliff. Again, you don't win a best and fairest in your second, in your second side, year, in your second man. year. Again, yeah. so there's stuff like that where clearly they're loving what he's delivering yeah. on the field and they're loving what he's doing from a fantasy perspective. Absolutely. He went to the perfect club uh, for him because uh, his hunger for the contest, his strength inside the contest was awesome. The knock on him as a kid was his uh, ball use uh, and decision-making. And if you've been following what Alistair Clarkson has done over the past 10 plus years at that footy club, you know that they have just been absolutely incredible at bringing some highly skilled players through there. So that part of his game still got improvement, but he's growing at that. He's a fantastic option. Absolutely have no hesitation um, encouraging people to go out and own James Warple. Or if you own him right now, don't trade him out. He's going to be an absolute ripper. It's got to be a pretty good deal to get rid of him. In at number 20, let's be honest, Kane. We we talked about this a lot on the Patreon podcast. And if you want to get the full in-depth articles and the the podcast, the podcast, MJ, my talk for a living Kane. How hard is this? Um, if you want to go and check out the full podcast, 15, 20 minutes, we talk about every single player. You can go and uh, join our Patreon army at coachespanel.tv. If you sign up at any tiered level in the month of June, you'll get access to it no matter what, just for supporting the coaches panel. This is a thank you from us to you to go and check it out. But we did really struggle with the fact of, is it Warple and then McCluggage or is it McCluggage and then Warple? I think what became kind of the clincher for us, and again, this is no knock on Warple, is McCluggage is just a better all-round footballer. And when it comes to the, look, they're scoring similar, they're ceiling, yeah, okay, McCluggage hasn't quite got to the same height, like a 125 is his career high, 134 is Warple. I think I'll always go with the better footballer than I will, just the better fantasy player if, if I can't make the split based on averages. Yeah, I think the other thing, MJ, that jumped out to us was the opportunity. So, yeah. Warple, we've already seen him with about as good an opportunity as you can get. We haven't seen that with McCluggage yet. He's started to get it, and he's been gradually earning more inside midfield time. And as a result, he's just made 
a really nice gradual rise year on year again 61 78 and then last year 91 and what we spoke about in in great detail was the comparison between him and Josh Kelly mm. at the same points of their career it, it is scary <laughs> how much, how similar their scoring is their games played was for instance in the first 3 seasons for Kelly 58 games an average 78 points McCluggage 61 games 77 points both had scored eight tons. Both had career high scores at, yeah. of 125 points at that same point in their career. And even the way they earn their points, again, McCluggage actually has an edge in contested possessions and clearances and wow. goals at that same point. So we know Josh Kelly in his fourth season got a massive boost yeah. in the midfield. He got so many more minutes and he exploded with a 113. And really, he hasn't looked back. <laughs> That's, a, that's the caveat with McCluggage is we think he's going to get more opportunity just the yep. way Brisbane's been grooming him. He has got more opportunity each year. The, the point that will hold him back from being, you know, following Josh Kelly's path and getting to a 113 is how much does he get? Because yeah. Josh Kelly went in there and just became the guy in there. Yeah. We know Lockie Neal's in there. We know Lyons is in there. We know Zorko's always around there. Hmm. Again, is it another step for McCluggage or is it really a year where he consolidates himself as a pure inside midfielder? Because the outside stuff's not going to go away. You know, no. he's, he's so great on the outside. And as a pure wingman, a lot of people had him in their All-Australian team. So in terms of impact, McCluggage is already making a huge impact. The thing we need for a fantasy perspective is it is super hard to be a consistent elite premium scorer on a wing. Gaff is probably the only one that gets to that uber rank that plays that role. Yeah. And we've and we'll, we'll touch on soon, you know, the reasons he has that really support his scoring and the way West Coast utilize him. So mm. McCluggage is probably going to be capped by how much inside midfield time he gets. If it's a small jump, I probably see him getting, you know, a five point jump to the to the mid to high nineties. Again, if he gets given at all, I see no reason why he can't be, you know, 105 this year and again that was the edge for me over over Warple. Yeah, I think that that's all very very fair too. Number 20, Hugh McCluggage. We've got a couple more players. We'll, we'll we'll take you to the number 16 to wrap up this episode. Patreons, they're well ahead of you. So again, you can join our Patreon army, support the coaches panel and uh, you can get ahead of the pack of everybody else. Number 19. On name, you'll 100% disagree with us. And chances are, even you look at the data and you go, I 100% disagree with you. And that's okay. Because this isn't about a rank of where you should draft them. Rather, it's who Kane and I, who we think are the best keeper league prospects to go out and draft, to go out and target and own and to trade for. Patrick Cripps is in at number 19. I suppose the big question I have, Kane, is is a few years ago, he, he pretty much pumped out a 110. It was a 109, but we'll call it a 110. Let's be generous. But then outside of that year, he's pretty much a 100 guy. Is this just Lockie Neal Mock 2, who we spoke about, who's just had one excellent year and he's not, and it was a phenomenal high premium end year and he's a 110 guy, was great, but he's really a 100 guy. Is this where Patrick Cripps is really rated and ranked? Well, that's the thing, MJ. Again, I leveled that criticism of Neil, and it wasn't a criticism of, of Neil the player. It was where he gets drafted. Again, mm. I, I believe Neil, he gets overdrafted because people have the expectation of a 110. 
and I just haven't seen it. The really tricky part with Patrick Cripps is when he goes on runs, like when I looked at his scoring, again, mm. his career high year, you mentioned 109. He, he final 11 games were at 118. Yeah. He rolled that into 2019 and started the season going at 115 for his first eight. So that's 19 games in a row. And he averaged just shy of 117. That's, that's the bad. part of me that I have, have to give some concern that if you can do that, clearly a 109 can be repeated, if yeah. not improved upon. Yeah. The problem is what, what happened in the other games that dragged him back to a 101. And that's what I worry about. The toll he takes as that Carlton leader. And if you've ever watched him, the guy just has to will himself. His yeah. body takes an absolute battering. And I think the thing that will decide if Cripps returns to 110 and honestly pushes up to the 115s, because as I said, if, if he had a season, MJ, that was 19 games and 117 points, we would definitely have to move him up this list. Oh, yeah. I can't work out if having support in that midfield, Walsh and so on, yep. is going to help Cripps' scoring. Or if the reason Cripps scores so well is because there's such a heavy reliance on him to get yeah, the job done. And, and I can't work out that question. And I feel like this year we might get an answer on it because yeah. it seems to me whether it's starting the season slower or ending the season slower as his body wears down. And we did see that last year, as I yeah. mentioned, his first eight games, he went at 115. Yeah. He copped a Matt DeBoer tag, which again, everybody's DeBoer's got, a lot, DeBoer's got a lot of good players and he kept him to 45. Yeah. Dylan Clark kept him to 67. But what seems to happen is this just wears Crips down. And it got to the point at the end of the season where we had this bizarre pattern of 55, 141, 75, 126, 69, 136. So, yeah, yeah. again, if, it was, if he really tailed off in a consistent manner, I could almost give him a pass saying clearly his body wasn't right. And maybe it still wasn't. And that's sure. just his ability to will himself the next week. But yeah. that sort of volatility is why, you know, he went, at 100 over the course of the whole season. And I'm just curious if he can break that cycle. Because if you're looking at four years of data and three of them are right around 100 and there's one outlier at 109, you know, you'd have to think that the logic is 110. So that's where you get, I get really torn. And I feel like this year, the players around Crips yeah. and how much impact they can have. And we know that that back end of the season is when David Teague took over and re-injected the Mark Murphys, the Ed Kernos into that midfield unit to help Cripps. Yes. And while it probably did help him in a sense of getting through the games and not having to be the one carrying the side, mm. his scoring tailed off. Yeah, it, it, it moved up and down a lot. I think sometimes in fantasy football, um, we let a player's name dictate where we should pick them and what we should do about them. If I said to you, now, I don't have any durability concerns over him. He's, he's played 89% of games available over the four-year window that we've been seriously factoring in. So I'm not too concerned about it. But like you said, if I said averages of 99.4, 98.1, 109.3, 101.4, and I didn't tell you anything other than he's a 25-year-old player, your immediate response is, so what happened in that year that made them go 109 where there was like a clear 10 point jump between the other years? If they're 25, okay, was that 
like a breakout year? Like, did they get injured? And like the questions there. So for me, I think you're right. This year is really critical in terms of there's going to be a bullish Carlton fan that just wants to own Patrick Cripps in your keeper league. That's fine. We, we all have our personal favourites. So, uh, of course, people draft not just with numbers and data. They draft with their heart because they have players they own that they like. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. Any time so I can own a crouch, I'm going to take it. Um, so, I, I feel your pain on, on that one through there. But I, I think, for me, this is the critical year for, for Patrick Cripps, which is awkward in a, in a shortened season in terms of minutes per quarter. Is is he a 110 guy or is he not? And to get him, you have to value him as a 110 guy in a keeper league. But I think he's closer to a 105 guy, which is still good. But I just don't think it means you have to get him inside the top 10 to 15 picks, which is generally where he's going in a keeper league. Yeah, well, that's the tricky part, MJ, is, as I mentioned, you have to respect the fact that he did put together, albeit across two seasons, huge. 19 games at 117. Yeah, it's beast. So you might have to make the decision in a draft that I'm, I'm better off taking Patrick Cripps, even if there's a player I might like afterwards, yeah. and trying to trade him post-draft for that player yeah. and maybe collect a little something on the side as well. Again, the reason I give him that edge over Neil is because, as I mentioned, if you can put together that type of average for that amount of games, you've got to, you've got to respect that ability. Cause that's not just one ten. that's, that's into a whole nother stratosphere of scoring. But as I mentioned in seasons year on year, yeah. there's these big stretches where it's half a season at one twenty, half a season 90. at 90. Yeah. So that's the thing I'm trying to work out. And as I said, this will be a huge year just to see, Obviously, new coach in David Teague's had a yeah. whole off season to, to shape things. And how does it affect Cripps? Because as I said, he can't take on any more responsibility. The workload. No, will he, will it maxed. help him to have some teammates? Yeah, will it help him to have some teammates giving him the ball? Maybe. Possibly. But then again, does, does that take some possessions away from him as well, MJ? That's the one that's really, really tricky because I guess I can see this wide range of outcomes where Cripps can be, you know, a high 90s guy. Yeah. Or I can genuinely see the one fifteen, the one fifteen season, and and again, that's what makes it really tricky. And I think for me, that's why we have him in a position that you're just not going to get him if you if you wait to this point in the draft. It's just yeah. it's just not going to happen. He won't be on the list. And again, this isn't about where we say draft them here, 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 here. Look, maybe the top ten we could say is how we'd actually draft. Maybe that would be the case. But it's about the prospects. And as we head into number eighteen, I can guarantee you, in almost every keeper league. This player will be well and truly still on the board at this point in time. Because a guy we ranked at number 24 was Max Gorn. Um, this Ruckman, Riley O'Brien, he won't go in a draft ahead of Gorn. And fair enough too, because Gorn's done multiple years in and around that 110 averaging number. That's had some injury impacted games. I, I suppose what we like about windscreens O'Brien um, is the fact that he's just 25 years old kept Sam Jacobs out of the side even once he was fit, who is at peak times in his career in the conversation as an all-Australian ruckman. And then what he was able to do in his ceiling as a ruckman is absolutely elite. And he's got some growth in a couple of key columns that a ruckman we need to look at. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it, MJ? Because this was his first real opportunity to have continuity at AFL level and it's fascinating when you almost 
break his season down. Again, first four games, very solid 78. And we know all the salary cap players were, this was a guy everyone was jumping on. And yeah. again, they were rewarded heavily, but it was what he did to the, I'll call them the lesser Ruckman. Again, Rory mm. Lobb, 120. Gets the, gets the inexperienced Richmond duo of Marbiel, Chol and Noah Bolter, 146. And it's unsurprising that post-buy, when he's got a bit of you know, familiarity with his teammates, he's played at the level you know, six, seven games by this point. Yeah. From round 15 to 20, yeah. 111.5 points. High score in that time of 134. Low of 90. Again, 111, MJ, puts him on Gorn's average. I know that's just a six-game sample size there. You know, it's not, it's not, you can't go too crazy about it, but still, six games for a guy in his real first season at the level yeah. with that sort of ceiling. Yeah. Again, he cops a concussion in round 21, which sees him miss that. Oh, sorry, cops a concussion and sees him miss round 21. Comes back round 22 with Jacobs in the side yeah. and has a, has a horrible score of 48. And then he's dropped for round 23, which I think was more about a farewell generating game source, yeah. some trade value for Source Jacobs. And as you yeah. said, a farewell game. So you really have to look at these individual chunks. And when I say a stretch of six games at 111 for a Ruckman who has played so well that the side has decided to trade out his direct competition. Yeah. Like he has such an inside track to be that hundred guy. Yeah. And again, at only 25 years old for a Ruckman, you're looking at six, seven quality years. And the way the game's trending, it seems like Adelaide's probably going to go with more of a support guy rather than, you know, the West coast Richmond approach of having two guys splitting time on the field. And one of O'Brien's strengths, as you know, MJ as a Crows fan is his endurance and his work rate around the ground. So he's suited to being that solo guy, you know, with a pinch hitter alongside him. And I think, if you can get that in the ruck in a position that can be really tricky at times to lock down, yep. again, you've got to give that a lot of value. Yeah, I think so too. You, you talk about that six-game stretch. Look at it in a bit more totality. He had a 13-game stretch from that first ton against Rory Lobb right up until at, at that 90 um, prior to some concussion. It's an average of 104.6. Like Gorn and Grundy, the only rucks that were beating him and that had multiple scores sub 80 through there. Um, what I love about O'Brien is he's got some growth through the hit-out area of his game, just the average of 33 last year, 15 possessions, four tackles, three marks. So that highlights his athletic ability because while he's got certainly some growth in terms of picking up another two, three, four hit-outs per game, to get around that base of Grundy and Gorn, around that 40-plus sort of marker, is he's just an incredible aerobic machine. Over the past two pre-seasons at Adelaide, he's been in the top five, for their two-kilometre time trials. He, he's up there with guys that are no slouch, the Chase Jones, the David McKays. Um, they, these are really good runners um, in, in the AFL, um, albeit not as well-known players in outside of the Adelaide Football Club. They're great runners. So for him to be up there with midfielders, young kids, as a ruckman, my word, like he gets around the ground, He's dangerous when he, he tries to clunk a grab. He can do other components and parts to the game. And at 25 years old, you're going to get about six good years of footy out of him comfortably. And he's already shown that he's right around that 100 marker. And if you can get a ruck, like we do talk about through, throughout the episodes, we've talked a lot about where and how and what you should do with your rucks. If you don't get one of the elite four or five 
then wait right to the end. But he's up there with the elite four or five. Yeah, absolutely, MJ. That's the thing. He's he's just so young, and we've again to show that many flashes, and as I said, to play so well that the side is confident enough to trade out an experienced player like Jacobs, and he's got no competition. It's not like other sides where even if you have a quiet patch for a little bit of time, they're prone to flicking their ruckman, you know, into the seconds and giving someone else a chance. Like he's solely got that role. And I feel that there's very minimal risk. Again, speaking of that, MJ, let's go to the next guy because this guy is about as minimal risk as you can get in Andrew Gaff. Oh, there's something about Andrew Gaff that you're just, if you own him in a keeper league, you just absolutely love him. Back-to-back years of going 110. We talk about a guy just moments ago in Patrick Cripps. Is he 100 guys? Is he a 110 guy? For a lot of his career, um, Andrew Gaff's been that 100 midfielder. Shown some ceiling, but to get an outside midfielder, to get that consistency of high-scoring games, to lift that average over 22, is really, really difficult. But over the past couple of years, the West Coast game style has continually involved well, they're not a high possession volume of side per se, like a Collingwood or a GWS. Their game style is very dependent on ball retention. So with marks and with kicks is how they choose to move the ball down the ground. Not as much of the run and the gun of the high dash and dare that other sides where they flank people you know, through the wings with just absolute incredible speed and line breakers. Eagles don't really have that. Rather, they're just going to possess the ball down the ground. And that's how they're going to choose to win the game. And then for someone like an Andrew Gaff, that's perfect. Because he just gets into damaging positions, gets into space, and is really rare to push off a 110 average two seasons in a row. And Gaffy's done it. Yeah, again, the game plan for West Coast just pivoted perfectly to exactly what he does best. They've been in the top three for marks and kicks the past two seasons, and it makes him incredibly hard to stop MJ. Again, the way people set up now to defend teams is, you know, a lot of zone defense and picking yeah. up space and not really running with a man. And what that allows Gaff to do is just find these pockets of space, yeah. take a mark, move the ball, continue running. And again, it's evident in his scoring. His floor is just absurd. Again, it is ridiculous. ridiculous. This guy does not go under 90. He does not go under 90. For the past couple of years, the dude barely drops through that. Like, it, it's actually crazy. We talk about, you know, it, his ceiling's certainly not as, as high heights as others, you know, a career high around that 150 marker, you know, which is fantastic. But he, he just doesn't drop under that 100 marker. Um, 16 scores of 100 plus last year, eight of them over 110. His lowest for the year was 91. And over the final nine games of the year, his lowest score was 100. That backs up what he did in in 2018. And and when you talk about guys that can go back-to-back tons over the 110 marker, I think there's maybe four or five guys that, that went 110 in 2018 and did it again in 2019. And, and he's one of them. And so, but he doesn't get the love that, that others do. And is that because he doesn't hit that 120 marker, do you think, Kane, as much as other guys? Or, or doesn't have those game-breaking monster scores as frequently as others? He's sort of that 90 to 125 guy pretty much every week, which is awesome. But if you want that 140, 150, 160, he doesn't seem to be that guy, does he? Yeah, I think that's the thing is 
people don't see the likelihood of him improving on his average. Yeah. If I had to say between him and Patrick Cripps, who is more likely to have a 115 plus season? Yeah. I would guess Cripps every day of the week. Yeah. And I think for a lot of coaches, they'd rather chase the guy with the the highest potential. ceiling in their yeah. career yeah. with the potential. People love chasing potential and Gaff doesn't have that ability. You know, he's he is a 110 to 111. Like that is just He's just maxed out on his average. Yeah. Again, what he what he does have in the opposite sense is that, like we mentioned, he doesn't let you down. And really, let's we've got to look at his availability, MJ, because yeah, okay. it's been a huge part of our list. And he's played 170 of the last 176 home and away games. He missed five of those for that crude hit on Andrew Brayshaw. Yeah. The other one he missed was a concussion. West Coast was playing Gold Coast at home. I have yeah. to suspect if it was any other team, he probably would have played. Yeah. So all we're looking at is one incident, which isn't injury related. Yeah. He pretty much has impeccable availability for going on eight seasons in a row. Yeah. Again, that is so valuable in a keeper league to have a guy that shows up incredibly every single week. And again, his ceiling isn't bad. No. You know, he had two scores, 130 plus last year. 2018, he had three scores, 145 plus. Yeah. So there is a ceiling. It's there. Is a ceiling there. But as I said, I think the reason that he gets picked after a lot of guys like Cripps is, as I mentioned, people don't see that 115 ability. And again, I don't either. No. But I have to value the fact that with the way West Coast plays, and that doesn't look like changing anytime soon. No. Gaff is about as safe as you can get between 108 and 111. Yeah. And for that reason, at 28, with perfect durability, yeah. that's why I give him the edge because I know in this game plan, I'm going to get a 110 guy yeah. pretty much year on year. And, and again, he doesn't take you. that physical toll. He doesn't no. take, exactly. He's not going to burn me with a poor score. Um, but as I said, people do really find it appealing to chase the guy that can go one who has that. Yeah, because they can see that 115. But as, as we say, MJ, the problem with that is that he might have a 115 season. But across that whole time, you're probably going to get a lot more hundreds than you yeah. are 115s. And yeah, in terms of that sense, he doesn't have that name value, does he, MJ? No. He doesn't it, have the name value of other players. That's right. You, you say in a keeper league, who are you taking first? Uh, are you taking Crips or Gaff? Um, you would be getting 95% of people saying, well, you you're taking Crips and maybe the years that he's got left to play is the thing that gets it over the line. I wouldn't knock that argument at all. But for me, going back to back years of 110, incredible durability and availability, shows he's got a scoring ceiling about him and he's going to age well in that side. I've got no concerns with the inclusion of Tim Kelly that he's going to see a scoring dip away at all. So for me, because he's that pure outside player, he's going to be fantastic. In at number 16, our last player before we wrap up this episode, friends. There's only one defender we have ranked higher or one back eligible we have higher than him. 27 years old, played 22 games last year. A down season where he just had the eight tons and an average of 96.9. I'm talking about the Adelaide Crow, Rory Laird. Crazy, isn't it? A down year is 96.9, just the eight tons. I think there was a similar amount of scores between 90 and 99. So if that's a bad year, 
I think you're going to be set for another couple of pretty good years from Rory Laird. Yeah, it's, I just have to laugh, MJ, isn't it? That a bad year, people are upset at Rory Laird. He goes at 97, yet people are celebrating a Jack Crisp with a 97. Yeah. You know, Tom Stewart with a mid-90s, a Caleb Daniel, seeing them as the next, you know, phenomenal defender, which they, sure. they are great players and they made yeah. our list. But if this guy's regression year <laughs> takes him back to the, to the pack of the other top three to four to five defenders... Um, you're a pretty special player. And as I mentioned on the, the Patreon podcast for Laird, I can't think of too many guys, probably only three or four other guys that have had better seasons. 108 as a pure defender. There's been a lot of guys that playing midfield. Taylor Adams' best season yeah, when he was a midfielder. Angus Brayshaw had his best season when he was back eligible. Yeah, But to actually be an out-and-out defender and to have the ability to score 108 points yeah. As a career high, again, we've been celebrating, again, not to pick on Patrick Cripps, but Patrick Cripps' career high is 109 as a mid. We haven't even taken into account value and how important scoring is in different positions. And just to make a nice even number, 10 points is usually what you have to add to a back or a forwards average to get the equivalent scoring as a mid or a ruck. Yeah. So, again, if, if... we read out numbers for a midfielder of 107, 110, 118, 107. Yeah. You wouldn't have any questions why he's this high on this list. And we haven't even factored in that the guy just doesn't miss games of footy either. His availability, again, incredibly strong for a guy rolling through there. 92% of games available, tunned up in the past four years. 51%, meaning a ton every second game last year. Sure, just the eight tons. But he also had eight additional scores between 90 and 99, again, in a down year. Now, the factoring or the caveat behind why it was a down year is they brought in or brought back from injury a, a fairly talented player into the Crow squad in 2019, and that was Brody Smith, a real running, dashing, thumping and penetrating kick into the Crow's side. And so that certainly impacted it. Wayne Miller had evolved and developed during that period of time. However, as we try to forecast, that's what we're trying to do. It's always looking forward through this list. The, the Crows really have experimented in and enjoyed seeing Brody Smith play higher up the ground. Through the wings, even in round one, albeit he got a bit of an injury, they were trying to do a bit of Lockie Whitfield about him, like play him off the half-forward flank, push him up, and then, then use that penetrating, damaging kick to get that forward 50 entry. Miller, I think they're going to continue to use him sparingly off halfback, but also... Through that midfield, adding some X-Factor. Sloan and the Crouch Boys, really, really solid ball winners through their really good contested plays. They do need a bit of dynamic through that midfield. Put Miller, put Jones, put Seedman, these sort of guys. Rory Led, what is he exceptional at? He's just an exceptionally difficult matchup down back. Really good one-on-one defender. Good end to set player on the ground. Gets into damaging positions when they're trying to rebound and accelerate outside of forward um, 50 movements from the opposition team. But are you going to try to tag him over all those other guys that I've said? No, he's not the damaging weapon. And even with the Bryce Gibbs experiment off half back, I don't see a problem. And the Crows have shown through the preseason that Matthew Nick's game style is they want to avoid turning the ball over inside forward 50. It looks like they want to, retain possession of the ball. And then once they can open the game up, then they'll accelerate through those booming kicks and those youngsters they're trying to develop through the midfield. So 
I, I can't see for the next four or five years at what, 27 now? Yeah, there, there's another four years in my mind and 90 plus back. And late in the second round, which is kind of, you know, where we've got him in terms of a prospect, but late in the second round where he normally goes in a draft is absolutely the right time to pick up a real so, a solid long-term scoring 90 plus defender. Well, that's the thing, MJ. We speak about availability in terms of actually being on the field, but he's got availability is that he'll be a defender year on year. Yeah. And like I mentioned with guys that have great defender seasons, I mentioned Angus Brayshaw. Again, he had the back status from a previous year. He's yeah. not a long-term defender. No. Rory Laird is as safe as a defender as you will get almost on this list. Yeah. Again, even a guy like Jack Crisp played at some midfield time that if something happened, maybe that's a move for him. But yeah. Rory Laird doesn't have that issue. No. Again, he doesn't have that issue at all. And even if he, he dips slightly again to a 94-95, if that's your worst case at his age, you're going to get five seasons of a 95. That I'll puts you that. in the top five to six guys every year. And as I mentioned, he, he doesn't miss. So there's very little, little risk. Only, two, only three times last year did he dip below 80. Yeah. He didn't the flash lowest. the ceiling last year. Yeah. yeah, lowest of 74. He didn't flash the ceiling last year. But the year previous in 2018 when he had his career high, he had seven 120-plus scores. Yeah. So... Okay. so as I said, if, if the range of outcomes is 95 and he's already showed us a 108, even if he never returns to that and just goes at 100, it's absolutely incredible to have a defender. As I said, there's only probably there's only one on our list that we have Higher. ahead of him, and there's probably yeah. only another one on our list in Sam Doherty. Yeah, fit Doherty goes there. Yeah. A fit Doherty who has that, that ceiling. But again, we don't have two ACLs to worry about with a Rory Laird. So. Yeah. Again, the upside is top three. The durability is right up there. Yeah. And the floor. There's not these wild swings. I mentioned to Jack Crisp. Again, Chris was incredible last year and rightfully so has a lot of buzz this year. Mm. But that's his best year. And that's yeah. Rory Laird's lowest in the last in four, four years. years. Crisp yeah. only has one other 90-plus season. Laird's got two plus hundreds. So I know there's always a lot of recency bias when someone has a great yeah. end to 2019, which is roughly so what Crisp did. But when you look at these four-year sample sizes that we've tried to do for this list and help us project forward, again, you're picking Rory Laird every day of the week, surely. Yeah, I think so. Like I said, you get he's not an early second-round pick. Um, he's rarely there mid-third round. He's that late second, very early third guy that just goes there every time. Sort of pick 15, 16 to 23 is where in every new keeper league, and to be fair, even in a single season league, is where Rory Laird goes, and understandably so. Great durability. Historically shown he's got a ceiling. Really good scoring floor. That No role concerns in the side. Really looks like a pretty fantasy-friendly game style for defenders coming for the Crows as well. So no worries for me whatsoever. Absolutely worthy of his pick for us. We've got him at 16. We rate him pretty high, obviously. 15 yeah, players it. left to go, though, Kane. Our Patreons, they're already a little bit ahead of the pack. They know what's in the final 15. We might do, what, two, let's split them into two. We've been doing them in kind of bunches of seven, but we'll do two more episodes. So even if you can't join the Patreon army, we'll give you a little bit of a sample of who we've got is our top 15 keeper league prospects. I'll tell you. Why don't we do it? finish off with an Elite Eight, MJ? Can I put that out there now? Oh, Why don't we finish off with the Elite Eight? So we'll do thanks, seven Cal Toomey. Time. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, yeah. 
All right, I'll, I'll copy Cal. And let's finish with eight, I reckon. You'll just, get that just, trending on Twitter just for Just to Cal. be kind. Yeah, copy yeah. Cal. All right. Seven players and then uh, what will that get you to number nine? And then uh, we'll give you the top eight, uh, the podcast yep. after that. By then, fantasy footy will be back and well and truly underway out of ISO life from a football perspective, but we're committed to giving it to you anyway. If you want to go and check out through all the other players so far, all the links to join the Patreon army at any level. If you join in June, you'll get access coachespanel.tv. Our regular content is landing right throughout at that website. Midweek trade and strategy podcast. They are back because round two, my friends is just a handful of days away. Can you smell it? Actually? No, that's just me, but, Footy's back for 2020, and we're stoked about it here at the Coaches Panel. Give it